those are actually Kim's Altoids, or is that my thing of guitar picks?
Well, good morning. Try that one more time. Good morning. There we go. Now we're awake. I want to welcome all of you to First Baptist Church. We're really glad you're here. We have a great um, start to our service in just a moment with baptism. But um, I'll call your attention to a couple things. Um, in the worship guide, there are several announcements. Um, I know um, last couple times we've read a bunch of them. I, I won't do that except for the Valentine's for the veterans. Please just do that. Kindergarten registration. The um, well ministry is, you notice the date change, that's next week, um, or no, two weeks from now, the 25th. And then today is the last day for you to have priority ticket ticketing for the Kelly Mentor concert. If you want to get those after this, it opens to the public. Once we sell 500, they're, they're gone. So please, as you go out, the ladies will be there to help you. If you need a scholarship for that, let, let me know or let Kim know, and we'll, we'll be happy to work that out for you. It's okay. We understand that some people are on hard times, and, and so we'd be happy, happy to help you with that. The Sons of Thunder's coming um, with, with um, the chili cook-off. It'll be in here with Todd Jones. And then please take note of the deacon list um, reservations there, uh, nominations, and, and we'll give you a chance to, to nominate someone you think might be a really good deacon. And so um, just get the, get the information to us. And, and either through the office or you can give it to me. Just put it in writing, and, and we'll take care of it from there. Well, are you ready to worship? In just a moment, we're going to stand and greet one another. And then as you do that, I'll be getting ready to baptize. And so when you hear my voice again, I'll be right over there. And then if you don't mind, you can lead us in the call to worship before the scripture reading. It's good to have Rob back. Um, he had some hip surgery and a hip replacement a couple of weeks ago. Rob, welcome back. And... The Bowlings asked me to express their gratitude for your prayers. It's amazing how well baby Camille did. We prayed for her last week, and it was just amazing to see how well she did in, in answer to prayers. So to God be the glory for that. Amen. Why don't you stand up and greet one another? Yeah, how are you? All right, you can be seated. It is really good to see you. And um, before we move forward, because he's going to run out of here, today is Mark Walker's 60th birthday. We're, he already ran out. 
There he is, 60 years old. Benny Bowman just accepted the call to Mount Pisgah, so Mark is the second oldest youth minister in Southern Baptist history. Um, <laughs> hey, this is John Seal. Christy, would you come up? And anyone else who's a part, I know some of the Sunday school classes come in. If you don't mind coming, kind of getting around that way so they can see. This is his wife, Christy. John Seal, they're coming to join our church. John's coming by baptism. He's been saved. He came out of another church tradition where they didn't baptize by immersion. So today he's being baptized by immersion. Christy's coming by promise of letter. So, um, I want to, if y'all going, well, that's okay. You're okay. But just don't want to block anybody's view there. John, um, I know we've talked and you've asked Christ to come in your life. So are you saying today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. Okay. Because of your public profession and faith, you've said Jesus is my Lord. And your obedience to God's word, you're being baptized publicly. I want to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you'll grab my arm, take your nose. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you so much. Y'all can go back. That's fine. As, um, as they're finding their seat, um, I just want to remind you that this is something that the Scriptures teach. In the Bible, we're to believe and then be baptized. This doesn't save us. John was saved when he asked Christ to come into his life, just as Christy was. But this is a testimony. And we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks in Colossians. But if you've never been baptized or if you've never joined the church, I'd love to talk to you about it and tell you more about it. So let's, um, let's just thank the God. I want to pray, and then Kim's going to lead us in our call to worship, and then we'll also have our, our scripture reading. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for John coming. We thank you for he and Christy being led to our church and joining. We thank you that he is, the, both of them have professed faith in you. I know Christy's already been baptized. John now has followed through in the believer's baptism. Thank you for that. Bless them as they grow. Thank you for their Sunday school class and thank you for this church. And God, help us see many more people come through these waters. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. All right, church, let's say the call to worship together. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Amen. Morning. Morning. Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 37. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joe Bob. Let's stay in church. I can't think of a better song to start with after what we just saw in baptism. That glorious day, that day that Jesus set you free from yourself, the day that Jesus came into your life and you were born again and saved. Let's sing it out, church. I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of 
should we be seated? Let's go. Continue in worship and prayer to the one we've been singing about, to Jesus. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, our King, our Lord, our Savior. And we praise you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being among us. We thank you, God, for the way you gift us. Lord, I just thank you for Justin and Jonathan and Prince and Rob. And I thank you for Kim. I thank you, God, for the way they lead us to your throne week after week. Thank you for their gifting, the time they've spent putting into this and honing their craft that they might be able to lead us in worship. And we have worshiped you today, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for the way you answered prayers with Camille. We continue to lift her up and Landon and Braylon, and we pray for Kim and Jonathan and the rest of the family. And we just ask God that you would help her to recover and heal. We pray, God, that you would fix it where she wouldn't need the pacemaker. But if if that's your will, then, then God, we trust you and just ask that she would be solid through that. I lift up Alan to you as he goes to his Achilles surgery tomorrow. We pray for Rob as he faces another hip surgery. And we ask that you would be with him and Angela, be with Amy, watch over them. God, we thank you again for this baptism. We thank you for seeing people come to know you and joining the church and, and most of all, being obedient to you in their baptisms. We praise you. You know the other needs. We lift up Frank to you as he continues to battle cancer. We pray for Miss Cynthia as she cares for him. Just help them, watch over them. And the other needs, Lord, we lift them. We, Thank you for Joe being here and for some recovery. And we just ask God that you would continue to help his heart and be with Vicki as she cares for him. God, we thank you. Thank you for the way you take care of us. And we praise you when you answer the prayers the way we want them. But we also want to praise you when you decide to answer them in another way. Because you're God. And we're not. So we trust you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to, second, or second, to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, two things before we start. One, um, I haven't said much about it, but Sandra Frost is retiring as our financial secretary. Ashley Harden, Justin's wife, is taking his, her place. And, and so Sandra's wrapping this time up. And, and I want to ask you if you would consider to drop her a card and let her know how much you appreciate her. I, I try to encourage you, put in a gift card or something where she and Brad could enjoy that. And just let her know that you appreciate 18 years of service in our office. And, and she's done a wonderful job. The other thing is... Um, I know that I don't often say anything political, and I'm not trying to be political, but I think this is a spiritual issue. There's a huge gambling bill coming before the legislator this week. And, and I was down at a meeting in Prattville this week, this past weekend, and, and the guy from ALCAP, who's kind of our, our, our branch in the convention of, of, of talking to legislators and, and educating us, he said that all the, the, the representatives right now say, all we hear from is people who want gambling. We're hearing nothing from people who are against it. 
And I just want you to know this. This is not just a lottery. I know that many people in this room could buy a ticket and it's no big deal. But statistics show that where they sell lottery tickets in poverty areas, grocery sales go down and lottery ticket sales go up. So when we approve that, then you need to know that you're going to take milk and food out of children's hands because somebody thinks they're going to win that time. But it's not just that. It's also 10 casinos coming to our state. They've promised to spend $35 million per casino. That's $350 million that the casinos are pouring into our state. Guess what? They're not doing that because they think we just need a casino. They're going to make a lot of money off of it. And then also they're opening sports betting where you could do it online, and it's more addictive than the lottery. And so I just want to encourage you. You can go to ALCAP, and it's A-L-C-A-P, and you can find out who your state representative is and just contact them. I told the first service, if you're in favor of the gambling bill, don't call them, okay? Just, they've heard enough from people who are in favor of it. But if, you're, if you believe like I do, we don't need this in our state, then I just encourage you to call our representative. Also call Lance Bell, who's our state senator, and let him know that we oppose it and, 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 and that we're praying. Be nice and just let, you know, let them know we're praying for it. That's, that's enough. Um, just be in prayer for that. And, and they're, they're getting a lot of pressure um, to, to pass this. And so, as you, could, as you know, and so um, if you are in favor of that gambling bill and you would like to know why I'm against it, I'd be happy to talk to you. I won't argue with it. I won't fight with you about it. I just talked to somebody earlier today in the second, first service. He said, hey, I'm in favor of it. And I talked to her why I was against it. And then I said, hey, I love you. And we went on. We're still friends. Um, and so we can, we can talk about it. And I'll let you know why I feel the way I feel. So that's enough. Let's get to the word. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm so thankful for the songs we sing because they pointed us to Jesus as Paul does in this passage. We looked at 6 and 7 last week. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading and the preaching of God's word. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to elemental spirits or elemental principles, it might say, of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Look at that again. For in him, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. One of the things that, that, that has broken my heart over the years as a pastor is, is to watch people who grow up in church Many times they're solid in their faith. They're following after Christ. And then they just seem to walk away. They fall away from the faith. They begin to post things and say things and live things that go against what they used to claim. And, and many times um, what happens is, well, sometimes they leave here and go to college. And they get before some professors who are just bent and literally hell-bent on turning them away from their faith. And so they begin to tell them in philosophy classes and math classes and other classes, science classes, that there's no God, and they believe it. 
Or they, they may get through college and still be strong in their faith, but then they get to work and, and they get around some coworkers who don't believe in God and, and they begin to read things online and, and before long they just turned away. And this is what breaks my heart about it is, is that many of them, they're attacked. They begin to look at the, what I would call a counterfeit gospel or a counterfeit truth, and then they stop studying the real thing. So they begin to read Hawkins or Dawkins or any of the other atheistic people who are out there. They begin to read those things. They get on these pages about atheism where people begin to attack the Bible and attack the things that we grow up with in creation and what we believe. And, and, and what they do is they only read that. But they stop doing due diligence. They stop studying what the Bible says. Now listen, the Bible's big enough for our questions. It has faced a lot more than us over the history of, it, of the Word of God, of people who've tried to rid themselves of the Word. The Bible's big enough for our questions, but, but what we have to do as a church, as individuals, is see what Paul's saying here, because there are false teachers who were coming into the church at Colossae, and they were attacking them. And Paul does what I want to do today is he tries to get them to keep their eyes on Jesus. There was, I think, a Scottish, I think he was a Scottish pastor who said, um, he gave a prescription for anyone, and I think it's a great prescription for all of us. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. For every look at the atheist, for every look at the person who goes against Christianity, take 10 looks toward Jesus. And here's what I want to say to you from the Word, and you're going to hear this a lot, is watch out. Be careful. The enemy's after us. The reason the enemy, the reason Satan and his demons hate us so much is that our salvation is a reminder to them that their days are numbered. They see in the gospel, they see in God's grace of saving us the fact that he has triumphed over them with the cross. And they hate Jesus, they hate God, and they hate us because we're followers of God. And so they don't want to let us live an abundant life. They want to, as Jesus said, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the way they do that often is in the name of human truth. Last week, we saw the first command of Paul's letter, and we see it again here. But we find it in verse 8, a warning. I just want you to see the warning that's here. Look at what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive. That little phrase, see to it, is translated properly, but, but it's stronger than that. What he's saying is, watch out. Be careful. See to it. Beware. Beware. Beware that no one takes you captive. Watch out that no one takes you captive. In verse 4, he spoke of those who, who seek to delude us with plausible arguments, and now he turns to those, and he's going to continue to turn through several verses now in chapter 2, showing us how they are trying to delude us, how they're trying to attack us. And Paul says, watch out. Watch for those. Parents, watch out. For those who seek to influence your children. Students, watch out 
for those who try to pull you away from the truth. Parents, watch out for those things that you listen to that open you to something outside of what Jesus teaches in his word of God. Watch out. That's the warning. Watch out. But then he gives us some specifics. He tells us what we're to be looking for. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That word captive there is a very rare Greek word. It's rarely used. Maybe the only time it's used here, I can't remember, but but it's a very rare word in the Greek New Testament. and And it speaks of when the enemy would conquer a city and they would take captives back with them. They would take them back for slavery, and, and he's, he, it's, it's that word. It's akin to kidnapping. Watch out that no one kidnaps you. Think about it when you had small children and, and you go into a public place. Do you just rest and let them go run and play? If you go to the fair or, or you go to, to Six Flags or, or you go to the mall or, or you just go to the grocery store, do you just say to your kids, hey, you just go run, I'll meet you at the front door? No. We're scared to death that something we saw, did you see the video, one of the CVSs somewhere where a mother was just walking out, I think four-year-old boy, and as she's walking out, a man comes and grabs up the child trying to rush out. And thankfully, the father was there and he tackled him and saved the son. Watch out. Just like you would if you were in a public place watching over the safety of your child or your grandchild. Watch out for those who are seeking to take you captive. One person said, watch out for those who who want to carry you from the truth and make you a slave of error. That's all it is. Satan wants to make you a slave of false truth, of lies. How do they take you captive? Look what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, there are preachers out there who say all philosophy is bad. That's not what Paul's saying. Philosophy in and of itself is made up of two words. It's made up of the, the philo, is, 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 philo is, is made up of the word love, and, and then it's made up of the word for wisdom. It's just the love of wisdom. Philosophy is a good thing when you're truly seeking wisdom. It's literally love for wisdom, and that's what it is. But, but Paul says this philosophy is empty. It's deceptive. It's based on human tradition. The Bible says a lot about human tradition. Sometimes he says, are you not just acting like mere humans? It's, it's human tradition and things that people have come up with outside of God's revelation. He says, watch out for it. Any philosophy that starts with the foundation that God is, is not God and there is no God is not wisdom. I want you to hear me. I don't care what any knuckleheaded teacher or professor tells you. If they begin their thing on saying there is no God, then watch out. Be careful. Because the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, early Greek philosophy, they all believed in God. Now, I'm not saying they believed in the Bible's God, but they believed in God. They believed in an unmoved mover. They believed in something above us. And somewhere along the line, philosophy turned into atheism. And, and, and he says, watch out for that. Watch out for those who try to pull you away from Scripture. When you come across someone who denies the existence of God, when you come across someone who denies the right of the Creator 
to tell its creation what to do, when you come across someone who denies that, tread carefully because what you're dealing with is foolishness. And the ambition to that foolishness is to take you captive. It's to deceive you and to pull you away from Jesus. Basically, this human tradition is anything that is not according to Christ. It is not according to what the Word of God teaches us. So Paul extends the idea with three prepositional phrases. And I just want you to see them real quick. He, he says they all start with a little phrase in the ESV, according to. Okay? According to human tradition, this is what the philosophy is. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, unfortunately, elemental spirits is not a real good translation. That word is literally a word that means the, basically the elementary principles of anything. So if, if you're teaching in elementary school and, and, and you're beginning to teach children about math, you teach them the elementary principles of math. Same with language. You, you get them into those elementary principles and you begin to teach. And this word is a word for any of that. And so you look at it, it's, it's, it's a word that means elemental principles. And he says, and they're not according to Christ. Now, let me just stop real quick. Every now and then I'll say, hey, well, that's not a good translation. And you'll say, well, how do I know? I mean, I'm just taking the word of God that I have before me. Here's the thing I would say to you. Every single translation you hold in your hands that's in English or Spanish or whatever it is, is all a translation. They take the Hebrew and the Greek and even the Aramaic and they translate it into English, okay, so that we can read it. And one of the tools that you need to have when you study Scripture is multiple translations. So, for example, you come across this type of verse and you begin to study. Elemental spirits is not a bad thing, but it's elemental principles. And so you begin to study and look at it and you read, for example, the New American Standard Version, which says elemental principles. And so you say, okay, there's a difference here. What's he trying to say? And you let the word define itself and the different translations help you begin to understand what it's saying. The New, or New Living Translation, for example, will give you more down-to-earth type of gritty language. But, but I would say get, make sure you have a New American Standard and an English Standard Version side-by-side side where you can study these things. When you get to chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, Paul's going to deal with the principles in more detail. But basically, these elemental principles that they're pushing were human laws that were centered around food, drink, special days, and seasons. Okay? It was Jewish. They were pointing to the Gentile people and saying, it's not enough to have Jesus. You've got to add the Jewish laws to it. It's not enough to receive Christ, but now you must be circumcised. You must keep the dietary laws. You must keep the festival laws. And Paul says, it's all by grace and not through faith and not by works. It's all at the cross. And here's the problem. The false teachers seek to add to the cross. Now, let's don't think that Baptists have never done that. Okay? And we'll dig into that when we get to don't drink, what, you know, don't touch, don't drink, don't, all that kind of stuff. We'll talk, talk about that. But in my whole life, I thought that the Bible taught right there next to whosoever will may come. I thought the Bible taught also that Jesus said it. 
Don't drink, don't chew, don't go with the girls that do. Because I was always taught that. I thought it was just red letter edition, biblical Jesus. No, I don't want to date a girl that chews. Sand Mountain, you had to ask those questions before you went on a date. But understand, it's just adding to the cross. You don't want to date a guy that chews either, do you, ladies? I understand. It's just adding to the cross, adding to grace. Every single religion in this world says this is what you must do for God. I walked out of an Islamic um, temple mosque in, in Malaysia that when it's full, courtyards and all, will hold fourteen to 16,000 people in prayer. And they fill it up with people who pray five times a day. I was there at the end of the Ramadan, and, and they were fasting for 40 days. And I walked out of that with the missionary from our convention, and I said, ma'am, can you imagine if Christians would pray five times a day and fast 40 days every single year and seek after God? He put his arm around me. He says, John, Islam's got piety down, but they don't understand grace. You see, Christianity is not about what you can do for God. Christianity is what God has done for you. We don't work to get saved. We work from our salvation. God saves us and we live the life from that salvation. We begin to live that out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when, when false teaching comes at you, when others, when others try to offer you deeper ways to get to God, when you find teaching that adds upon grace and focuses upon your works and what you must do to earn God's favor as we looked at last week, when that comes, he says, watch out. It's the enemy. He's trying to take you captive. He's trying to deceive you. But then he only goes from the specifics. He gives us the cure. I want you to see this. What a verse. For in him, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In the incarnation of Jesus, you had the God-man. You saw Jesus walk on the earth, and when he walked by you, you saw a man who was fully man, but you saw God who was fully God. He was both. He was born of a virgin without a sinful nature. He was God in the flesh. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And here's the thing. His body was glorified. And when we see Jesus in heaven, we will see a glorified human body there. And that Jesus is fully God. Fully God. It's an amazing thing. And so the cure for us is to begin to look to look at what he's doing here. He's comparing and contrasting. He's saying, why would you go to empty philosophy for truth when you have the glory of Jesus inside of you? 
Why would you turn to the world when you can turn to the one who made the world? Why go after the one who claims to be the way to deeper things when you can go straight to him who is God? You can go straight to him. I talked to him this morning, did you? I drank my coffee and ate this nasty gluten-free bagel that my new diet calls for. And I tried to thank God for that bagel, but I kept thinking of bacon and biscuits. But you know what? I drank my coffee and read my Bible, and I talked to Jesus, and he was there with me. That's the Jesus we have. It's incredible to see what he's saying. He's already said it. Remember what he said back in verse 19? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And now he says it again. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's Jesus. One of my seminary professors, one of my favorite ones, I only got to take a couple of classes from him. His name was Curtis Vaughn. And Dr. Vaughn said this in his commentary on Colossians. He said that Jesus, get this, Jesus has unshared supremacy and complete adequacy. Unshared supremacy. There's no one else like Jesus. And he's completely adequate. You need nothing more than Jesus. He's all that we need. And when we have Jesus, we have everything. You need no other man. You need no other philosophy. You need no other rule of life than what Jesus lived and teached, teached, taught in his word. Sam Mountain still comes out of me. And taught in his word. You see, this is why Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Turn toward Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said something amazing. He says, but you've come to Mount Zion. He's talking about the old covenant and now the new covenant. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've come to Jesus. So many want to play with Jesus. They want to take a little bit of this of Jesus and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of this and a little Zen and a little this and this, and they want to pull it all together and try to form their own rule of life. But Jesus is not to be played with. These scriptures that we're reading in the Sermon on the Mount, they're harsh, aren't they? Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus Christ does not leave it up to us to pick and choose what parts of him we like. He is the Christ. He is Christ, the promised one. He is Jesus, the one that walked on the earth. And he is Lord. 
He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He died on the cross. And, 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 and Revelation pictures, pictures the, the believers who were before the throne, and they said, these are the ones that followed the Lamb wherever he went. That's us. We are to follow Jesus. We, we receive Christ and, and the cure from the world and the cure from the empty philosophy is, is Jesus. But get this, those who peddle empty philosophy would rather crucify you with Jesus than pick up the cross and follow Jesus with you. So don't just think that because you open the Bible that everybody's going to say, oh, that's got to be true. Your own kids will look at you and say, I don't care what the Bible says. We must stand with the truth. We must stand on the foundation, church. As the days get stronger and days get harder, if we've got to be the only ones standing on the truth of what God's Word says, then we true to it. We stand to it. Don't turn to making mud pies in the slums when you can go to the ocean. Don't settle for emptiness when you can have fullness. That's another thing he says here. He gives you a warning. He gives you the specifics. He gives you the cure. It's Jesus. But in verse 10, you find the fullness. Look at verse 9 again. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here's verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The fullness. He's going to dig into this for the next several weeks. We're going to look at it. But you've been filled. Just as you were rooted by God, we saw last week. Just as you're being built up by God, as we saw last week. Just as you're being established, you have been filled by the Father with His Spirit. You've been filled with Jesus. There's a play on words here. It's fullness and filled. He talks about elemental principles and, and angels and, and says Jesus is the head. He's the head over all rule and authority. It's as if Paul's saying, you've got Jesus and Jesus is in you. Don't settle for man's traditions. Don't settle for angels. Live the supernatural life that comes by being filled in Jesus. Once again, this is union with Christ. We're in Christ, and Christ is in us. In 1.9, he prays that we would be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with the knowledge of his will, and as if Paul is saying, that's what I'm praying for, and here's the answer to my prayer, you being in Jesus. In Ephesians 3, 19, he prays that we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that amazing? Know something that surpasses knowledge. That we would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. But here's even more amazing, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We may be filled with all the fullness of God. That doesn't mean we'll be God, but we can be so filled with God that he's what oozes out of us instead of the world. We're found in Christ and Christ alone. He's, he's the head of all rule. He's the head of all authority. 
the false teachers were pushing, and we'll see it in the next couple of weeks. He was, they were pushing for worship of things of earth. They were pushing for the worship of, of, of human tradition. You look in chapter 2, verse 18, they were even pushing for the worship of angels. I see it today on Facebook. You see it in social media. You, you hear people who are believers who talk about praying to the saints for help. Well, I, I carry the whatever saint so-and-so on my necklace, and every time I get in trouble, I pray to him for help. You see people praying to angels for help. And even people who pray to Mary. Why? Why would I pray to a saint? Why would I pray to an angel? Why would I pray to even the mother of God when I can go straight to Jesus? He's the head. He's the head of all rule and authority. Every time in the Bible someone sees an angel, they fall on their face and they try to worship because they're so overwhelmed by the glory. You know what the angels say over and over again? Don't do that. Stop. Get up. Worship God. You don't worship angels. We're going to be above the angels. You don't worship angels. And you know, I'll just say it this one time. If you think you can get to God through Mary. Let me just say this. If Mary could come back from heaven to you while you're praying to her, you know what Mary would say? Stop. Don't pray to me. Pray to my son who is God in the flesh. Pray to Jesus. Pray to God the Father through Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. He's the head of all rule and authority. There are four places Paul uses those words, rule and authority, together. Piper pointed these out. Let me just show you real quick. We're going to close with these four verses and just show you what happens, what he's saying to us. When we're filled in Jesus and it's enough, he says in chapter 1, verse 16, for in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions are rulers and authorities. Here it is. All things were created through him and for him. Why pray to any of those things when you can pray to the one who created those things and all those things exist for his glory? That's what he's saying. And then he says in Colossians 2.15, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And while Satan is still the God of this age, he's, he's an opposed monarch. He still has power. He's still making life miserable. He's still running havoc. But understand this, Jesus is the King. And Jesus is the Lord. And while we don't see all the fruition of that, you don't go and pray to other things. You, you pray to the one who is over all things. In Ephesians 1, 21, Paul comes to the end of, of that great chapter about who we are in Christ, over and over again, in Christ, in Christ. He discussed that union that we have, and, and he says, in him, in him. And then he prays for this, Ephesians 1, 21, that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, 
that we would know the hope to which we were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the immeasurable greatness of his power, the power that was raised Jesus from the dead is now in you. And he says, Jesus, that powerful one, that raised one, is at the right hand of the Father. And he says this about him. This is Ephesians 1.21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. All things under his feet. So why worship those things when you can worship him? One more verse, Ephesians 6.22. Paul's talking about the armor of God. He's talking about how we fight the battle. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities. See those same words? Against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of, the, uh, of evil in the heavenly places. That's our battle. We fight in the one who has already won the victory. As we sing in this song, we fight from the battle that's already been won. Here's the warning. Be careful what you read. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. You know... You can go with me into Africa and to other places in the Middle East and in, or especially in Asia and other places and, and you'll encounter witch doctors who have much power over the people. They're scared of them because they have this power with demons. And you say, well, we just don't see much of that around here. And we see it, we just don't see it as plain. And one of the things we've got to remember is is that Satan gets us in a different way in America. He gets us with distraction. The phone is the way that Satan gets us. Don't tune out on me, please. You're constantly scrolling. You're constantly looking. You're constantly trying to find something to fill your time and when you get into the word of God, something beeps and you go and you leave conversation with the king of kings to go look at a Facebook post. Because of iPhones, little boys' first exposure to pornography now average at the age of eight years old. We're killing our kids. We're killing ourselves. I will tell you this, I've got four daughters we made our oldest daughter wait till she was in ninth grade to get a cell phone. I was miserable. She was miserable. We were the meanest parents in the whole wide world. Each of our daughters, we gave it, we, we just, they broke us. We, we gave it to them earlier. And I want to tell you, this was the biggest mistake I made. It's the biggest mistake. I want to encourage you. I had... I had two, a set of parents come out in the first service who have an elementary age child. And they said, my son is the only boy in his neighborhood who doesn't have a phone, elementary school. And he thinks we're the meanest people in the world. And I said, hang tight. They can get a flip phone if they got to be able to contact you. And I want to encourage you because it's not just them that battle with that. Y'all are as bad as they are. And let me say, we. I use y'all plural. We are as bad as they are. 
Go to a restaurant. Sit down on a date. Watch this young man come in with this beautiful woman and sit across from her and think he's got a next hour to spend time talking to her. And what does he do? Same thing she does. Pick up the phone and start scrolling. <laughs> Why? You got to be careful. You got to watch out. There are good things there. There's screen time that you can set. There, there are things Matt can help you with, some of the, the software you can put on a phone to, to help protect your child. You've got to protect. You've got to watch out for them, and you've got to watch out for yourself. But I want to say this. It's just for every look at that, could we learn to take a look to Jesus? I thought of something this week, um, today as I was preaching, and I just want to close with this. Murray Wilton he was a South African pastor who his brother Don pastored a big church in, in the Carolinas. And Murray, Murray pastored in Huntsville, Alabama. But he went to, to New Orleans Seminary, and he said he was going through the Desire Project. It's one of the housing projects, very violent area at the time. And he was going, he was sharing the gospel house by house, apartment by apartment. And he said he went up, and he knocked on the door. And he said it was just a screen door. And he said the door opened, the, the, the other door behind the screen door opened. And he said, John, the biggest man I've ever seen in my life filled the door and said, what do you want? Murray, this little South African guy, he's not, he's maybe it's not, I can't do the accent. But he says, sir, I've come to bring you Jesus. I've come to bring you Jesus. And he said that big mountain of a man stumbled back. And he went back in the house. And he got his whole family. He said, this man's come to bring us Jesus. And he sat down and he shared the gospel. What would happen if we could get so filled in him that when we go anywhere we go, we're just bringing Jesus in his love, in his compassion, in his mercy, but sometimes in turning over the tables, we just come to bring you Jesus. Oh, it changed all of our lives if we just know him like that. Amen. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Kim has asked me today to just let her play today, just so I'm not canceling any songs today. But I do think, just like in the first service, we didn't sing. I, I think this would be a good time for you to think about your life. And I know, I know. It's you're going to hear me say, you don't need to be on your cell phone so much, and you're going to go right out there and be right on your cell phone. I know it. It's like I'm pushing that rock up the hill like that Greek myth, and I just start it every single day because I battle it too. I'm not saying that you never get on it. I'm not saying that you never get on social media. I'm not saying that you don't do those things. I'm just saying, what if we just start bringing people Jesus? You know, you're not going to change any 
Auburn's fan and make them an Alabama fan, and you're not going to change any Alabama's fan and make them an Auburn fan through your social media posts. And I'm pretty sure everybody in this room knows who they're going to vote for in November. You're not going to change those minds. And I don't mean you don't post anything about those things. But what if we just started talking about Jesus? Just started quoting scripture. What if we just started sharing good stuff? Oh, you won't get as many likes. But what if we just bring people Jesus? I don't even care that you bring them Baptist. I'm Baptist by conviction, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And the Southern Baptist Convention goes to pot. I'm still going to follow Jesus. Someone asked you today, what's distracting you from Jesus? Is it a person? Young folks, is it a boyfriend, girlfriend? Is it a relationship that you have at work? Is it someone you listen to? I've been listening to this podcast, and, and I love the way this lady interviews people, but, but it's so pro-Zen that I have to keep reminding myself, this is not true, John. This is false. What's pulling you away? Is it a newscast, a podcast, a blog? Is it a coworker? Have you been reading stuff that, that's making you question everything you've ever believed? Listen, the Bible can handle that. Just get back into the Word while you study. What's pulling you away? And what do you need to do? You need to limit some screen time? Could you just start at meals and not let your kids bring their phones and daddies, mamas, don't bring your phones to the table? Just talk. If you're battling pornography, it's pulling you away in every way. It's pulling you away from Jesus. It's pulling away from your spouse. It's tearing you inside. That's why Satan uses it. And you won't get out of it by yourself. You need accountability. I'll be happy. I will not judge you. I will help you. And every minister in our church will help you in that. If you need to come and talk to us. Get some help. What is it? Do you find you're spending so much time with someone that when you think about seeing her, your heart gets a little excited? It's pulling you away from your wife, pulling you away from your husband. Satan attacks us in so many ways. Father, I thank you for everyone who here has listened. 
And I thank you for the calming spirit you've given us where we've been able to express some hard truths. And in the world, it seems so arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way. But we say it only because, Jesus, you said it. And because we believe you're God. And there's no other way to salvation except through the cross. But I pray, Jesus, that you would help us be so full of you that others feel your love and your joy and your peace. Yes, there are times we convict, even as the scriptures we've been reading convict us. That we have to confront. But even then, we do it in love and not arrogance. I pray for each person here, especially myself, that you would help us all to take the steps we need to take that we might walk in you. Protect us. Put a hedge around our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Put a hedge of protection around our spouses and families. Protect us from the enemy. And let us do our due diligence by by studying to show ourselves approved. Help us, God, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for being here. I'd be happy to help you with any of these things uh, if you want to talk more about it. Matt can give you some ideas about software parents that you can use. As you go out, our... um, our ladies will be there selling tickets for the Kelly Mentor t- uh, concert. I'll be right here by the baptismal pool. If you want to see it and see how we do that and talk to me about it, I'd be happy. Um, I forgot one thing by not doing the invitation. So Kevin and Paula, come up here, okay? I know they're going to do this because they already gave me their cards. This is Kevin and Paula Dubois. And they're coming to join our church. Um, they, they've both been saved and baptized. And they, I, I cut out the invitation so you couldn't come. But I knew you were. I'm not normally saying, hey, come up here. I don't do that normally. But they're coming to join our church. So if you welcome them, yeah, that's the way to do it. This is Jennifer Murphy's dad, in case you don't know that connection. And, and, and so, and, and granddad, right? So, uh, so come by and greet them. I'll be over here. God bless you. The ushers are at the door. Please be faithful to give as God's given to you. Take care. Thank I'm you. I'm sorry. Thank you.